Good morning. I want us to imagine for a minute that we all are in this country and this, this generation after generation just enslaved. And the reality is, is, as a child, you would often ask your mom and your dad, will we ever be free? And they would say the same things that their fathers and mothers said to them, and that's, I don't know. We hope, we pray. We don't know for sure. And, and throughout these generations, you realize that maybe God isn't faithful. In fact, maybe God broke his promise because we weren't supposed to be here. And then one day, you get the word. It's time to go. It's time to escape. This is the day that not only you've been praying for, but your mom and dad, your grandpa and grandma, your great-great-grandparents, they've prayed for this day. And Moses is going to lead us out of this land of slavery, and we're going to go where God has promised us to go. And you would, you would see a few things. You would see this a miraculous escape you and I, we would, we would get to Mount Sinai and, and we, Moses would go up on this hill to talk with God, to hang out with God, and yet he took too long. And right, we would get frustrated, we would get upset, and so we would do things like give our gold so it could be melted down and, and made this little baby golden cow and we would begin to worship it because apparently that other God isn't good enough or takes too long. Moses would come down from that hill and he'd be so angry and he would smash those tablets. The same tablets that he would write the law on because God told him. We would see God institute a priesthood under Aaron's sons. We would see people come and go and die. We would see Moses receive this instruction of tabernacle. Uh, and it's amazing because this tabernacle is this giant tent where God's spirit dwelled. And it's funny because it's actually a verb to dwell with, but we make it into a noun, a big tent where God dwells. And it's this amazing thing that God wants his tent to be in, this, in the middle of all of our tents while we wander. And, and we would get to the place we were supposed to go, and we would, we would send in spies, and, and there were 12 of them, and 10 would say no, but two said go, right? And, and, but there were giants. And we'd be stuck on the east side of the promised land, terrified to go into this place that God actually promised to us. And we would come to the realization that we weren't worthy of this land that God had promised. So this generation must die. And it's the next generation who must enter. And that's where we find Israel in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, feel free to open to Deuteronomy 6 and understand Deuteronomy like the name says, second law. This isn't God giving a second law. In fact, uh, this is more of a summary of the wilderness period. This is an organization of the legal material that was given before an exodus. And it's really intended to formalize the covenant that Israel entered into with God earlier in Scripture. It also provides a broader understanding of the covenant 
and calls for people to live in obedience. Understand covenant is not just a promise. A covenant is, I'm agreeing to this, you're agreeing to this. If one of us lies, we die. That's what it means. I will give my life if I don't hold my end of the bargain. And this renewal was essential before entering the promised land because who we find in Deuteronomy is that next generation. The people who weren't part of the original covenant, but their parents were. So we get to Deuteronomy 6, and here's our text for today. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This passage has been known, uh, commonly referred to as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Now, the reality is just verse 4 is the Shema, but we refer to it, the passage, as the Shema. And that's this, this word of hear or listen. Pay attention. The Lord... Our God, the Lord is one. Verse four, we're going to dig in verse by verse because I think there's, it's so essential to get out of the text what's here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Understand Israel, two words into one. Israel struggles with God, wrestles with God. This nation that would go back and forth, listen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, today we think of monotheism, right? Yes, God is one God. That's not quite what the text is saying. It's saying God is superior. God is exclusive. God, your God is one. Not just one, but the one and we're going to see in this verse and the verses to follow that actually there's, there's a lot of, of, of echoing of the, of the commandments found in Exodus. It's, it's like we, get, we have the top ten in Exodus, but now Deuteronomy is going to allow us to dig in deeper to say, let's clarify what we meant. This previous generation didn't do so hot with the short list. Let's, let's go into it a little bit. Now we, have the, now we are able to see history. You and I don't do so well with the short list all the time or the expanded list. It's a human condition to not do so well, but God's intention here is I want you to understand what I'm expecting of you. You are my people, and I want you to know what I expect. So Deuteronomy will expend in all ten of the commandments coming in the, in the incoming chapters to ensure the next generation knows. And to boil it down, God is saying Israel's first priority and final authority is Yahweh. God's people, their first priority and their final authority is Yahweh. Verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Uh, Professor Jason DeRushi from Bethlehem College and Seminary has great insight on this, and so I just want to quote him when he wrote about this verse. It says, there's no room here for divided affections or allegiance. If indeed there is one God who stands supremely powerful and valuable, 
This demands a supreme and total loyalty from you and me. A loyalty that starts with the heart. We see here in the text to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And over time, words take on new meanings. And so I think it's important for us to look at when they see these three words, what would they have thought? And so heart, this describes your will, your desires, your passions and your affections, your perceptions and your thoughts. To think about your heart is, is to love God with everything that you desire. To love God with everything that you feel affection for, all the affections you feel. How you perceive things and the thoughts you have. Love God with those things. And he moves on to soul. where We have this idea that the soul is this intangible being, and yet the Hebrews would have heard the word soul and thought one's whole being as a living person. Your whole being, which includes your heart. So now we have this telescopic view, starting from within, moving out. Love God with that. With your, with your whole being, body, mind, all those things. Love God with those things. And then this word might, and this is my favorite. This one word in Hebrew, translated in three different languages, has seemingly three different meanings. And so here we go. Hebrew, the word very, V-E-R-Y. Love God with your very. That seems a bit ambiguous, right? Okay. So let's, let's move on to the Greek, the New Testament language. Love God with your power. With your power. And then Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke. Love God with your wealth. It's the same word, three seemingly different understandings. And so what is he trying to actually say? Darushi also asks a question in this pertaining to this one, this one verse, and I think it's applicable for you and I today. How can we love God with our veryness? How can we love God with our veryness? Perhaps this concept is, is, is looking at what we have around us. If you see very power and wealth, those are those intangibles. To love God with everything that's around us. Maybe the call to love God is not only with our physical being and physical muscle, but with everything we have available to love God with. So we see that he says, love the Lord your God with all of your desires, your wills, your passions, your affections, your perceptions, and your thoughts. Love God with your whole being and everything that's around you. Love God with those things as well. It's like this all-inclusive deal that God just wants his people to understand that love me with everything. To clearly state it, everything that makes you, you. Love God with that. Moving on to verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And this word diligently, this is, this is an amazing picture of wetting and sharpening like an axe or, or a knife. This idea of sharpening your children by teaching them the commands. 
And it says, it says, you shall teach them diligently. I don't want to lose track of what this them is. This them is the commands that God has given. And as a youth pastor, sometimes these, this idea of commands and rules, you know, they're not always looked at with such joy, right, from students, right? We can we have teenagers at home understand that rules sometimes get overlooked or not appreciated. The reality is as adults, we do the same thing. We just, it just looks different. And, and God knew that people needed commands. And so he says things like, teach these commands diligently to your children and then talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. I don't want us to miss this. Commands does equal the law. And law does equal rules. But understand that rules equals the love of the Father. If we're honest, we have a really hard time with authority sometimes. We have a hard time with rules. We have, we have a hard time with constraints because we feel like somehow our rights are infringed upon. We feel like somehow we're missing out on something. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Her name is Madison. She's cute as all get out. Seriously. Totally cute. We have a rule in our house that when Madison decides it's time to wake up way too early to help Dad iron his clothes, she can't shake the ironing board because the iron will fall. And who's under the ironing board? Madison. Or we like to cook in our house. We love to cook, probably too much. And Madison loves to help cook. Now she's two and a half, so she's not playing with fire and knives, but she tries to. We have these rules in our house. You don't play with the fire or the knives. It's not because I don't want her to mess up my dinner. It's because she's two and a half. She doesn't get the fact that knives are sharp. And the decision she makes at two and a half could leave her going into the world the rest of her life without a finger with scars. And as her dad, I want to protect her. And as her dad, I want her to have the best possible life. So I have rules in my house. Parents, you understand this logic. You understand this. And God here says, I have these commands and I want you to share them with, the, with your children. And it's not because I'm a God who wants to just keep his finger on you. I'm not a God who just wants to make sure I have control. It's a God who loves us so much that I want the best for you. So yes, commands of the law and law of the rules and rules of the love of God. And parents, I realize that we hear this, teach them to your children. For some of us, this, we've done that. We've been there. Teaching them diligently to your children is not a promise that they receive the teaching. Some of us maybe have seen our children grow up in this home that we wish we would have grown up in. We gave them an amazing upbringing, invested in them, poured into them. Church was part of our life. Faith was part of our family. And our kids, for some reason, decided it was, wasn't for them. It's not a promise that when you diligently teach your children the law, the love of God, that they receive it. And there's freedom for parents to not feel guilt in this because ultimately I'm held accountable for my actions as a person, no matter how my parents raised me. And there's deep love and compassion for, for the parents who are struggling 
in this area or who will struggle in this area. Keep in mind, I have a two and a half a year old. No guarantee what she's like when she's 15. We pray for that day. We don't know, what it, we don't know what's going, what's going to happen then. But teaching them doesn't mean they will receive what's been taught. And there's freedom in realizing that, that praying for your child, investing in your child, is what is being asked, not ensuring that they also follow God. It's implied. But there's no judgment, and there's no, God's not upset if for some reason the next generation doesn't decide to walk with him. It says when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, which is traveling, when you lie down or when you rise up, and I have to ask, is there a time when we're not doing one of these four things? At least one of these four things. It seems like this is all the time, right? It's like God has this idea that he wants us continually teaching our children or the next generation. And he doesn't just stop there. He says in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So I want to show a picture. We have, we have this IDF soldier that's going to be on the screen. And, and you see these a lot in Israel and around the world. And so what you see here are our phylacteries, is what they're called. And maybe you've seen this before, but you have a little box on the forehead and a little box, in this case, on his bicep. And there are leather straps that just hold them in place. And so from this text, we see people uh, who write part of the Torah or the first uh, five books of the Bible— most of it's Deuteronomy 6. Um, and they write it on parchment. And they put them inside these little boxes, the little phylactery boxes. The leather straps allows them to be placed literally between the eyes or a little bit above and then to bind them on their hand as a sign. The idea of putting them in front of your eyes is you kind of always know it's there. You see it. And as a sign on your hand, it's there to remind you, but it's also there to remind others. In, in a place that's so deeply communal, it was important to, to have each other's backs and to remind each other of God's law, which isn't just God's law, it's God's love for them. And, and today, Jewish people do this, and it's for men at the age of 13 are able to start doing this, and there's a tradition, there's a ritual, and they took this verse and they made it literal, and you see it today. In verse 9, he says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The doorposts, these big beams across your door, and as you exit your house, one of the last things you see is this doorpost reminding you of God's love. And put it on your gate so as you walk a few yards or a few hundred yards, depending on your property, you leave the place, and the last thing you see before you leave your property is God's law, his love for you. Let's look what we just read. Put them on your doorposts. Put them on your gate. And as you walk by the way, diligently teach it. As you have frontlets on your eyes, between your eyes, so as constantly in front of you, teach. Bind to your hand as a sign. While you, teach while you're sitting, while you're lying down, when you rise up. Always intentionally teach your children and the next generation. God's desire is that whatever is going on in the next chunk of Deuteronomy, that the Jews make it a priority to keep 
the law, to keep God's promise, his love for them in front of them and around them to not forget it or ignore it or turn away from it. Now, you and I, we have this privilege of looking back in history. We can see how, how, the, how people have struggled throughout history to keep God's law and love in front of them, around them, and to not turn away from it. You and I, our story is that struggle. And what I love about this is, is this is an amazing plan of attack for accountability. Parents, teach your children. Teach your children. Do all this. The, you know, the, the boxes and the, and the things in your arms, all that stuff. Do all of that. Teach them to your children. Now, who's watching you more than anyone else? Your children. So now all of a sudden, if you're teaching, you're doing all these things, and you decide you're going to do something different, who's your little accountability buddy? Your children. And, and I don't think the phrase was quite invented that I heard as a child, and that's do as I say, not as I do. Anybody else hear that growing up or say that? Right? Not very biblical, but that's just what it is. It's a different sermon. Um, not bitter. It's only been, you know. Um, God wants his people to live a life saturated in his law, which is his love. And remember, this is the generation that should have been the first generation born in the promised land. But they were the last generation born in the wilderness because their parents sinned. There's a lot of things with that generation that just needed to happen before they could enter. And he doesn't want this new generation entering the promised land and, and, and doing exactly what the generation before them did. And I really think we can look at this passage in light of another passage. So I want to read that one quick just to help us give a visual. I'm a visual learner, and so I want to give us a visual. So Psalm 1 the first three verses says, Blessed is the man who walks not in counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. This idea of being saturated with this water that flows that this continual nourishment, this continual giving of life. Once again, this law, these rules are not about boundaries and restraint. That's not the kind of God we have. And I say we because we're going to get to the point that this is our God too. But he's a God who, who gives it freely to just nourish and love his people so much to say, this is what I want for you. And I'm not only am I going to just say those things, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to give you life. And part of that is obedience to me means you will be blessed. This isn't just don't misbehave because I'm your dad, I don't want you to misbehave. It's I'm going to bless you for obedience. If you're willing to be that tree planted by streams of water, you will yield fruit. You will have leaves that don't wither. So we have to ask, what does this have to do with us, North American Christians in 2017, and what seems like the dead middle of Wisconsin, where there's apparently 10-month winters, <laughs> still new? See, there's a sweet marriage between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just for the Jews 
Those of us who put our faith in Christ Jesus, we are now adopted as sons into the family of God. And that's not a sexist statement. I'm not saying sons because it's... In this time, the one who received the inheritance was the son. And there's not much use for male or female when our bodies are done away with. We all receive the inheritance of God, which is salvation, which isn't just this bright, shiny mansion in heaven. That's good, that's great, but it's about community with God as opposed to eternity away from God. It's not just about the good place or the bad place. It's about spending eternity with this amazing God that we're just getting a little snippet of today versus spending an eternity totally away from him. I believe in order to be able to fulfill what's being asked in Deuteronomy 6 for the North American Christian in 2017 is for us to begin with ourselves. For me to read this means I need to begin with myself. I believe God's law, his love, his word, prayer, community, things like this are inflow. And what I mean by that is it pours into us. God uses those things to pour into us. And what happens when you naturally fill up? You overflow. But a glass can only spill what it contains. So when we spill over into people, if it's of God, the spilling over will be of God. You don't just teach your children diligently because it's the right thing to do according to Deuteronomy 6. It's you are so saturated by God's law and his love, that's just what naturally pours over into your kids. It's this awesome image. It's so freeing to, to know you don't just have to have the right answers, do the right thing. It's, no, I'm just going to make sure me and God are good and me and others will be good. And that's terribly hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. But it is that simple. The overflowing causes us to spill over into others. And so I want to introduce just six areas, uh, and they're just the, the six fill in the blanks. We're not going to go too deep in any of them. I just want to give them to you just as, as a way for us to be able to start thinking about these areas of our lives. These are areas we can examine and evaluate how we're doing. Uh, the first one is to love God and know his word. To love God and know his word. Now, this isn't loving God by knowing his word. It's loving God and knowing his word. Now, as the resident pastor who's probably the worst reader on staff, probably, they're all really, really smart. I'm not, seriously. Uh, just reading the Bible sounds hard for some of us. Spending time just reading when we understand that this is the most cliche thing we can say, but it's totally true, that this love letter that God gave us to remind us of how good he is and how much he does love us, when we start to commit that time to him and allow that inflow in, our love deepens. You can't tell me you didn't appreciate getting a love letter from your, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girl from back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Feel the butterflies, feel good. It's that same thing that God's like, here it is for you. I want to show you how much I love you. Here it is. Our love deepens when we're in the word. And the natural flow out of that is the second is to love others. 
Once again, this relationship has to be right for this relationship to be right. You teach that to students, but as adults, we need that. To love others. Uh, Another area is dependence on the Holy Spirit. I've learned something over the years about um, just evangelicals. I didn't grow up in the church, and so I was... I came to church the first time when I was 12, and I wasn't a believer until I was 13. And, and so there's a lot of time in there where I didn't go to church. And um, the Holy Spirit scares people, especially evangelicals. It's like we want to, we, we're, we're good with, a lot of us, and this is a very blanket statement. It seems like a lot of us are really good with the Father, and we love Jesus because he died for us, but the, the Spirit scares us because we don't necessarily want to be one of those Christians. The reality is the spirit is alive and active in the believer, which means that tabernacle we just talked about, you and I are tabernacle. It's the place where God dwells. So he leads, he prompts. And parents, he's the one that gives us the strength to lean into our children and diligently pour into them. The spirit dependence Number four is dependence on prayer, which is different than praying or just blessing a meal. It's this idea of dependent on this conversation with God who wants to speak to us, who wants to lead us. Number five, bear fruit. Bear fruit, and that's two ways. We're talking spiritual fruit that we find in Scripture, love, joy, peace, patience, which is all-inclusive. You don't get one or the other. You get the whole package. And then evangelism, telling people about God, his love, his law, Jesus, salvation. And the last one, which is actually the best means of evangelism, that's understanding that your life is worship. Your life as worship. Everything we say and do, the thoughts we have, the telescopic view that we see in Deuteronomy 6, all of that is worship. So we're either worshiping God or something else. All six of these lead us to modeling or diligently teaching others, including the next generation. To model behavior, what I mean is to make faith or speech common in the home, in your surroundings. Understand that parents are the primary spiritual influence of their children. I'm a youth pastor of a really big youth ministry. I guarantee you I don't get as much time with your children as I want or as maybe you want. But I'm not the primary spiritual influencer here. If Deuteronomy 6 and other parts of Scripture is correct, parents, you are. And I know some of you are grandparents with kids who aren't raising their children to love God. Then maybe you're the primary spiritual influence in that case. Ultimately, we don't have to just think about us having our P's and Q's minded, and we're, we're, we're all the pressure's on us. We have an amazing model in Jesus. We focus on who Jesus was. We look at his life, his attitude, his habits, his actions, his understanding of Scripture, and we have him as model. When Jesus was asked in Mark 12 what the most important commandment was, this is what he said. He says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus, knowing the Scriptures, said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second one is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. He points them to the Shema. What's the most important commandment? The Shema. To recognize that God is one. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy points to a new covenant that came through Christ's sacrifice. So we have the benefit of seeing that here. The Jews longed for it. We get to live in it and pass the knowledge of the saving grace to the next generation, beginning with our family. I'm going to give just a few application points in closing. First off, we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play. I, I talked about parents and families right now, but I understand not everyone in here has children. So whether it's biological children, adoptive children, kids down the street, whether you have too many kids or, or no kids, whether it's people in the, the, the store next to you, your life, your conversations, the things we do matter, and they pour into people. Second off, there's always an opportunity to share the love of Jesus and the truth that comes from him, no matter the age of the person receiving it. One of the most instrumental people in my life in high school is a 63-year-old woman who taught me more about prayer than any pastor did. Because she would always ask me, Irene would always ask me how I'm doing, and if I said anything, positive or negative, we're praying right then and there. She taught me about this idea, we're going to pray, because God hears us and wants to hear us, and wants to talk to us. And that's, many, that's the reason why many of us serve, right? We, we believe that this is true, pouring into other people matters, so we volunteer as Sunday school teachers, or, or you know, there's a lot of youth and children's volunteers, but you, there's also a lot of areas in Highland where we as a church, we pour into one another. And thirdly, Jesus modeled a life that shows us how to live this out. If we get to know Jesus and we see how Jesus lived, there's our model. And there's a little recipe. Hear the words, the commands, the law, the love of God. Hear, hear the words, internalize it, and apply it. This isn't just about doing the right things, saying the right things, being the right person. It's about loving God and understanding his place in your life, in our, my life, to be able to then spill over to the folks around us, our own kids, our kids' friends, the people we run into, our family members. This DNA of the scripture translates into so many different areas. In closing, I'm convinced that God is active at Highland this church is growing, digging deeper, and reaching our community. I'm excited to be part of what's happening here at Highland. However, that does not give us a pass to become complacent. Marathon, Weston, and Wausau, and beyond is full of folks who do not know this amazing love of Christ. So God has allowed us the privilege of making his name great and our faith to spill over into every single area of our lives. And let us go boldly and spill over into the folks around us, beginning with diligently teaching our kids and the people who are closest to us. Let me pray. God, this day is yours. We're thankful for it. Lord, we look at your word and text and we just see that you have a plan for our lives. You have a plan for how you want the next generation to carry the torch. Now, God, we're not the Jewish people sitting on the edge of the promised land, but you have given us a sphere of influence. You have given us people to pour into. So God, help us to know who it is you want us to, to pour into. Help us if we need to have you know, note cards 
posted in, to the computer in front of us or to have daily reminders to work as frontlets between our eyes or signs in our hands or whatever works in our context, God, to keep your love, your law, your word in front of us so we're able to then diligently teach our children and those you have in our paths, God. Thank you so much for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.